Well, good morning and welcome to Christian Life Academy. Uh, as you are aware, I'm sure, there's going to have to be a few changes made. Uh, and so I uh, want to begin this morning by kind of outlining uh, what we're going to be doing going forward. Uh, Paul and I have been uh, discussing this and praying about it and trying to figure out what our plan would be. And uh, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We looked at what some other churches were doing and uh, tried to learn from them and kind of combined some things together from a couple different churches uh, and ideas that we had. So, um, you know, the whole idea of Christian Life Academy is, is that it is a training ground uh, for the Christian life. And so as we thought about that and thought about what uh, things we ought to do, in the past, Christian Life Academy has been primarily focused on uh, the teaching of the confession. And so we wanted to continue to do that in some form, but we wanted to supplement it with some other things as well. So uh, this is what we have uh, arrived at that we're going to try, uh, at least for a while, and see how this works. Um, there are five areas or topics that we're going to kind of rotate through uh, on, during Christian Life Academy. And so they are these. The first one is systematic theology, which is the study of the confession, right? The, the confession of faith is basically a small systematic theology. It takes uh, a broad view of everything that Scripture teaches on specific doctrines and kind of summarizes them into a few paragraphs on each of these doctrinal topics. And so that's really what systematic theology is, an organizing of the biblical uh, teaching topically or systematically on different doctrines. Uh, but another approach to understanding the scriptures is uh, what's called biblical theology. Uh, yes, all of our theology should be biblical, but the idea behind biblical theology is to approach uh, the study of God, which is what theology is, to approach it uh, on the basis of the fact that this is a book or a library of books, right? The Holy Spirit uh, didn't inspire the concordance in the back of this. He inspired the individual books, and so we read them as books. And so the idea of biblical theology is that this is a unified library or one large book uh, with one overarching story, the story of redemption uh, brought to us in Christ Jesus. And so biblical theology is kind of approaching the Bible in that way. And so some of the things that we're going to cover in biblical theology uh, will be how to read our Bible, how to study our Bible, uh, how we should approach the various genres of literature that we find in the Bible, whether it's historic narrative or the epistles or the Proverbs, these are different types of writing, and so we need to understand them as what they are. Uh, the third thing is uh, realizing that we're not the first generation of Christians. Uh, we're not the first generation to uh, try and understand what the Bible is teaching on any given subject or what, how the books of the Bible uh, are teaching us as we read them as books. Uh, the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. And so we want to spend some time sort of looking at church history or at historical theology to see how previous generations of the church have understood uh, what they've believed and how they lived their lives, uh, how the creeds were developed in response to uh, different heresies that the church had to deal with. So uh, we're going to do some of that. And then the fourth category is what I'm calling practical theology. And again, all of our theology ought to be practical. When we look at the confession or study the Bible as books, 
right? It should have application to our lives, but for practical theology, what we're talking about is how do we put it into practice? Uh, how do we go about doing evangelism or apologetics or uh, worship in the church or raising our families at home? How do we apply these things in practical ways? And then the fifth category is missions. Uh, we wanted to spend some time focusing on uh, the mission of the church in the world, uh, what's going on uh, currently with missions around the world, and probably on those Sundays that we focus on missions, we'll maybe hear some updates from different mission organizations or missionaries, uh, spend extended time in prayer on those mornings for the work of missions. Uh, and so those are the five categories, and what we decided to try is to rotate through them on a weekly basis. So the first Sunday of the month, we'll be looking at the confession. The second Sunday of the month, we'll be doing biblical theology. How do we read and understand the books of the Bible? The third Sunday, we'll be looking at the church history. The fourth Sunday, practical theology. And then once a quarter, there's a fifth Sunday, and those will be the Sundays that we dedicate to missions. Uh, so that's kind of what our categories are going to be and how we're going to work our, through them, at least for the time being, and see how that works. The other thing that we want to do is we do want to uh, address the fact that we are a family-integrated church and that we have children. Uh, we have my two teens back here, and oftentimes we have the Bryson kids, and uh, hopefully in the future we'll have more. And so we want to address the children as well. So what we're going to try and do is at the end, we're going to try and end the teaching time uh, in a timely fashion so that we can spend the last seven to ten minutes uh, speaking directly to the kids via a catechism. Uh, it's a children's catechism, but we're going to kind of expand on that. Uh, and hopefully there'll be some stuff there for all of us as well. But uh, it'll be a good time for the children to feel like they're being involved, but for us to kind of get a refresher as well. The other thing is, is that we, uh, you know, Christian Life Academy to starting at 9.45 and going to 10.45 is an hour of teaching to fill. Uh, and we want to encourage uh, more fellowship as well and not overwhelm people with an hour of teaching here and then going upstairs for a sermon. So uh, starting next week, Christian Life Academy will start at 10 a.m. And then we'll try and finish around 10.40 so that we can have more time for for fellowship and uh, visiting before the service starts upstairs. So that's the plan moving forward. This is the second Sunday of the month, so we're doing our biblical theology this morning, and so we're going to do an introduction on how do we read the Bible, uh, particularly how do we read the Bible in our daily lives, devotionally uh, reading the Bible. Um, you know, we're, we're often guilty, I know I am, of reading a lot of books about the Bible, uh, and maybe not spending as much time as we should reading the Bible. Uh, we can read about it rather than actually reading it. Uh, and this is a quote that I saw many years ago from Charles Spurgeon that kind of uh, hit home for me. Spurgeon said that we should visit many great books but live in the Bible. Uh, and so we, we want to think about that. How, are we reading our Bible regularly? Uh, are we spending time with it, dwelling on it, meditating on it? Uh, and so as I thought about this, I thought, why? Why should we as Christians read the Bible regularly in our daily lives? Well, first of all, we're people of the book, right? This is God has revealed himself to us uh, in this book, and so this is how uh, we know God. Uh, if, if we love God, we should want to know him, and this is how he has revealed himself to us, uh, and so we should um, 
engage with God in looking at his scriptures. If we turn over to 2 Timothy, and uh, you'll recognize by now this is one of my favorite passages. I quote it often. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, his young protege, uh, and giving him some instructions uh, for the church uh, that he is uh, overseeing there in Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, we have this great statement by Paul about uh, the scriptures. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, if the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures for this purpose, uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction or training in righteousness, uh, then, then we should pay attention to the scriptures because uh, these four things, like doctrine is teaching or learning or knowledge about God. This is learning to love the Lord with all of our mind, right? Uh, reproof is the scripture exposing our sin and rebuking us for our sin. And as Christians, if we want to grow in sanctification and Christ-likeness, then we need that to happen. We need to be reproved for our sin. Correction is to set things right, particularly uh, doctrine that has gone astray. So we have doctrine, which is our thinking, and reproof, which is um, correcting, you know, reproving us for our errors in our lives. Then we have correction, which is setting right our thinking. And then we have training or instruction in righteousness, uh, which is setting right our lives, our actions. So this is what the scriptures do for us. And so we should pay attention to them. We should want to read them and know them because it is through the scriptures that we know God. And as R.C. Sproul has said and published a book a couple of years ago that everyone is a theologian, right? We all have uh, some, we believe things about God, right? Theology is simply the study of God. And so everyone, Christian or otherwise, is a theologian. We all have something that we believe about God. The question is, where are you getting your theology and is it good theology or not? So as Christians, we should want to get our theology from the scripture. This is God revealing himself to us. So in many ways, the study of the Bible is God teaching God to us. Uh, so this is the best theology that we can get is to immerse ourselves in the scripture. Uh, several other verses that I would point to uh, about the scriptures and why they should be important to us is uh, if we think about uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, as he's praying for us, for his church. Flip over there real quick. In John 17, uh, he prays and he asks the Lord to uh, sanctify them, that is his people, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so God's word, the scripture, is truth. And if we want to know the truth and not believe a lie, then we're going to find that in the scriptures. Another passage you could look at for that is Psalm 119, verse 60. Um, we also see uh, Psalm 119 is a great chapter uh, in the Bible because it is so taken up with praise for the word of God. Uh, but in verse 50 of Psalm 119, it says, This is my comfort in affliction. Your word has given me life. So if we want spiritual life and vitality, we find it in the scriptures, in the word of God. As we think about our families, raising our children, our grandchildren, we think about um, 
friends of ours that we want to uh, share the truth of Christ with or simply that we want to be uh, good evangelists, that we want to be about the mission of proclaiming Christ in the world. Well, the scriptures are the root of that, right? Uh, again, back in 2 Timothy, Paul gave Timothy this, this grand vision of what scripture is and what it accomplishes, but just a few verses before that, he told him, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that is his mother and his grandmother, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So if we want other people to come to faith in Christ, we have to give them the scriptures, the words of God, not our own words. So uh, we need to know the Bible. We need to read it. We need to study it. Uh, we need to be concerned with the scripture. And again, the Bible is our spiritual food. Right? What does Jesus say in Matthew 4, 4? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? It's our spiritual food. And so if we think about uh, a phrase that you probably hear, if you uh, think at all about nutrition, is you'll hear people say that you are what you eat. Well, the same is true spiritually as it is physically. You are what you eat. If we're consuming the scriptures, we'll become more Christ-like and more uh, sanctified in the truth of God. But if we're not consuming the scriptures, we're consuming something spiritually. Uh, so we want to be uh, like Christ. Therefore, we need to go to him in the scriptures. But as we approach the study of the scriptures, we have difficulties, right? This is a big book. It's a complicated book. Uh, it's written by almost 40 men over a period of 1,500 years on multiple continents and multiple languages that we don't read. So we're reading translations of the original. Uh, it is difficult in places, right? What does Peter say about Paul's letters? There are some things in them that are difficult to understand. And so uh, it's going to take some hard work. Uh, to understand everything that's in the scripture. The basics that are there for salvation are plain and clear uh, for us to grasp, but if we want to grow in maturity in the Christian life, we're going to have to put in the discipline and the diligence. Uh, again, Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.15. He tells him to be diligent, study, to show yourself approved. Uh, so we have to be diligent in our study of the scripture. It should be a delight to us to study the Word of God, uh, to learn more of God and of our Savior. Uh, but sometimes uh, we may find that it's not uh, as much of a delight. And primarily, I think that's because of, uh, A, we're eating junk food. And so then when we come to eat healthy food, uh, our palate has been uh, trained in opposite ways. And then secondly, we have to recognize that you know, there's spiritual warfare involved as well. Uh, Satan does not want us uh, to grow closer to Christ, to grow in Christian maturity, to be able to share the word with others. Uh, and so we are going to encounter resistance from not only our flesh, but also from the world that's going to try and lure us away with other entertainments and from uh, Satan who does not want us uh, to engage in the scripture. You think about the parable that Christ tells of the sower and the seed that's scattered and in one particular instance, he says some of this seed lands on the ground, but then Satan comes and steals it away like the birds of the air taking the seeds off before they can find root. So we know that Satan is actively opposing uh, our uh, study and reading of the scripture. So we're going to have to be diligent to bring ourselves to do it. 
So how are we to read the Bible uh, as we approach it devotionally? How should we uh, study the scriptures? Well, the first thing I want to say uh, in regard to this is that obviously for non-Christians, uh, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we trust that the word of God is active uh, and does pierce to our innermost being, reveals our sin, uh, and calls us to worship Christ and to believe in him. But as Christians, as we come to the scripture and we seek to diligently study it, to learn from it, to grow in our sanctification, uh, we have to come believing uh, in Christ, right? Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, he says, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But we, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What Paul is saying is that to non-Christians, the scriptures in large part are going to be foolishness. Unless the Holy Spirit regenerates their heart and brings them to faith, uh, they're not going to see the value in daily reading and studying God's word. But for Christians, we should see that. So we have to come to the scriptures as Christians, believing. Secondly, we need to come to the scriptures prayerfully. Uh, I would encourage you as you read your Bible on a regular basis that you do so uh, prayerfully. In Psalm 119, verse 18, uh, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Uh, that's a great prayer to pray at the beginning of your daily Bible reading. Lord, open my eyes so that I can see what you have for me in your word. Uh, ten times throughout uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist asks the Lord to teach him, uh, to teach him uh, from the word. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And ten times he says something like that, asking the Lord to teach him from the scriptures. So we should come to the scriptures with prayer as we begin to read and study. As we didn't read the Bible, again, like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit inspired books of the Bible. He didn't inspire the concordance. The concordance is helpful, but I hope that none of us make it our daily practice when we sit down to read the Bible to start with the concordance and go, today I'm just going to read every verse uh, that has the word weak in it. And you go through and you find all the verses that talk about weak or weakness, and that's how you read your Bible. That might be helpful at times to study in that way, but for our daily reading, we should read it as it is inspired in books, right? These are stories, they're letters, uh, they're poems. We should read them in their entirety, in their context, uh, and not simply plucking verses out of context here and there. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the story, I'm sure it's not true, but it's funny about the person that would just randomly open their Bible and put their verse down and finger down and read the verse their finger's pointing at, you know, that they flip it open and it says the first verse they read is Judas went and hanged himself. And so then they open it back up again and says, go thou and do likewise, you know, try it a third time, what thou doest do quickly. Um, you know, that's not how we want to read our Bible, right? We want to read it in context. Uh, we want to read uh, as it is written. Words only have meaning in context, in sentences, and sentences have meaning in paragraphs, right? We can go to the dictionary and look up a word and get four, five, or six different definitions for it. 
the context is going to determine which definition is appropriate. So we don't want to be pulling things randomly out of context. We want to read in context so that we can get a proper understanding uh, of what is being said. Secondly, we want to have a plan. We don't want to just approach the Bible randomly. Uh, we want to have a plan. Uh, if you don't plan uh, to accomplish something, you're likely to achieve what you didn't plan, which is nothing. Right? So if we want to read the Bible, we need to have a plan to come to it. Uh, a plan will give us consistency. It will give us a steady diet. Again, it's spiritual food. Think about it the way we eat physical food. If you starved yourself for most of the week and then like overindulged one day of the week, that's not very healthy for you. Uh, so we don't want to read the Bible that way. We don't want to ignore it all week long and then Sunday, oh, I got to catch up on my Bible reading. I'm going to sit down and read 20 chapters today. Uh, that's not a healthy way uh, to be feeding yourself spiritually. We need to read on a regular and consistent basis, and a plan will help us do that. The problem with Bible reading plans is many of them will uh, try and get you to read the entire Scripture in one year, the whole Bible in a year, and that can be beneficial. The problem is, in order to do that, you're going to have to read four or five chapters a day, uh, and Sometimes if you end up getting behind, then you've got to double up to try and catch up. And what happens is you end up with a to-do list. You end up with a checklist, and you're just reading it in order to check off the boxes on your reading plan, and you're not actually reading it to hear from God anymore. Uh, so I encourage you not to get caught up on the calendar year and, like, I have to read the whole thing in one year. Um, I'll tell you what has worked well for me. Uh, in reading the Bible, and that is uh, the Old Testament makes up about two-thirds of our Bible, and so we want to be reading it on a regular basis, uh, and the New Testament makes up about a third, but it explains and enlightens much of what was in the Old Testament, uh, and we may want to spend more time in the New Testament, but this is how I typically read the scriptures. I will read one to two chapters in the Old Testament on a daily basis and work my way through a book of the Bible. I try and read one psalm and I read that same psalm every day for a week. So I'm not trying to get through the whole book of Psalms quickly. Uh, it's going to take me three years to get through the book of Psalms this way. But this allows me to really uh, begin to, as you, you'll find, repetitive reading will begin to pull things out of the text that you didn't see in your first reading. And in the, the New Testament, um, similarly, I think it's helpful, especially with the epistles, which are generally shorter than, say, the Gospels, uh, I think it's helpful to try and read them in one setting, right? If, if your best friend sends you a letter in the mail, uh, you wouldn't sit down and read the first paragraph and then come back the next day and read the second paragraph and the next day and read the third paragraph. You'd read the whole letter at once. It's a letter. That's how we read them. Uh, so most of the epistles would benefit from us reading them in their entirety and repetitively, again, like the Psalms. Uh, if you pick a book, uh, say Colossians, four chapters, I would encourage you to read it in its entirety, maybe not every day. You're reading the Old Testament, you're reading Psalms, but a couple of times a week, read through that letter and read it for multiple weeks until you really have begun to draw things out of it. And maybe for a month, you just read that one letter over and over again multiple times, and then you move on to something else. Uh, so that's, that's typically how I approach it, but there are lots of different Bible reading plans. Ligonier usually posts several of them going into the new year uh, that will help you. But as we're reading, how are we to understand what we're reading in the scriptures? Well, the first thing I would say is don't expect to understand everything right away. This is a lifetime endeavor, 
right? We're, we're not going to read the Bible once and understand everything that's there. Uh, we're going to read it over and over again over the course of our life, and we're going to continually uh, see new things as the Spirit enlightens us. Uh, don't assume that uh, you understand a passage fully. You may read it and see wonderful things in it and understand it, but you could come back to it next, next month, next year, or a decade later and read it again, and maybe the Spirit enlightens you to see something you hadn't seen before. Uh, so uh, don't assume that we understand things. Don't assume that we understand the words that we're reading. Um, I'll read this to you. Third John, it's a little epistle. Uh, it's not long. There are only, uh, what, 14 verses here? Third John, verse 2, uh, it says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. I've heard that verse used as justification for the prosperity gospel. He said that we're to prosper in all things, so we have to be prosperous, right? Uh, that's not what this verse is saying, so don't understand that, don't, don't assume that you, when you read the verse word prosper, that that means what you think it means, right? We, again, we have to look at it in context. He's not talking about finances here. He's not talking about physical, material prosperity, what is he talking about? So uh, don't make those sorts of assumptions. Uh, the second thing is, is that even though, as we said, um, there are things in the scripture that are difficult to understand at times, especially in, as Peter said, in Paul's letters, there are some things that are difficult to understand, but our biggest problem with the Bible is not that we don't understand it. It's simply that we don't want to obey it. Right? That's the biggest problem. Uh, take Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Does anyone not understand that verse? The difficulty is not in understanding it. The difficulty is in obeying it. Right? Uh, so a lot of times it's not really our mind that has a problem as much as it is our heart, our sin nature. We just simply don't want to do what it says. Uh, so we have to come to the scriptures, like I said, prayerfully, uh, asking the Lord to enlighten us, to expose our sin, and to give us uh, the grace to obey what it is we're reading. But there are parts of the scripture that require thought and study uh, as we come to it. Uh, and so uh, how do we do that? How do we read and interpret what we're reading so that we come to correct assumptions? Uh, well, I'm going to give, well, this is something that we'll probably talk about uh, in future uh, weeks in CLA, but um, one of the things that I would say uh, is that there are two basic principles of biblical interpretation that are taught in our confession uh, that I think are extremely helpful as we try and look at some of these more difficult passages and understand uh, what they mean. First of all, we need to understand that the Bible is both divine and human, right? It, it's God's word, but he inspired human authors, and so it's written in human words and human language in time, at different times in history, but it is one divine author uh, that has inspired this. So as we come to the scriptures, we come to it w differently than we come to other books. We come to it understanding that this is one unified whole. And so most of our Bibles will have cross-references in them referring us to other verses that maybe speak about similar subjects or similar events or the same event. And so 
we can trust, our, our, our confession actually says that the only infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. So uh, we can look at what the Scripture says about itself uh, and learn from it how to understand specific passages. So there are two uh, rules of interpretation uh, that we can apply here. The first one is called the analogy of Scripture. And don't let the word analogy throw you off. An analogy simply means uh, a relation between two things where they're similar to one another, right? And so the idea here is, is that certain passages deal with the same subject matter or the same event. They're similar. They're analogous to one another. And so the idea is, and I'll quote to you from Richard Muller's dictionary of uh, Latin and Greek theological terms, for the analogy of Scripture, he defines it this way, the interpretation of unclear, difficult, or ambiguous passages of Scripture by comparison with clear and unambiguous passages that refer to the same teaching or event. So it's basically, use the cross-references. Right? If you're reading and something is unclear, you don't understand what it's saying, look at the cross-references. What other passages are talking about the same event or the same subject? Are they clearer and can help us come to an understanding? Um, Abigail, would you get in my briefcase and, and get my copy of the confession? I meant to read this and I forgot to bring it up here with me. In the confession... This is in chapter 1, which is of the scriptures, uh, in, ver in paragraph 9, the confession says this, The infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself, and therefore when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which is not manifold but one, it must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. So there's our rule, the analogy of scripture. Use the cross-references. Look up. Uh, other passages of Scripture that are more clear that speak about this specific thing that you're having difficulty understanding. Uh, we need to understand that some passages are literal. They're historical accounts of things that happen. Others are metaphor, right? The parables are metaphor, a lot of them. Uh, or the prophets sometimes are speaking in metaphors. We have to understand that there are no uh, contradictions in the Bible. So if we see a literal passage compared to uh, something that maybe is more metaphorical, there's not a contradiction here. Uh, and if we are to understand and read our Bible properly, then we have to understand what we're reading and what type of literature we're reading. And so comparing one passage to another will help us. I'm going to give you an example of this. If we approach the Bible with a kind of a simplistic biblicism, right? We're just going to read it. Whatever the words say, that's what it means. And we're not going to consider anything else. We're going to have some problems. Here's Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And some translations may even say the Lord repented that he had made them, right? So is the Lord sorry? Is he repenting of having done something? Well, if we compare this to Numbers, Chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The Lord doesn't change his mind. He doesn't repent. 
Well, these two passages almost seem to be contradictory to one another. Genesis seems to be saying the Lord changed his mind. He's sorry that he made man. He's repenting of that. But Numbers says he's not a man. He doesn't repent. He's God. He made a plan, and it's going to fall out exactly the way he intended it to. So how do we understand these two passages? Well, we need to understand, again, the clearer passages help us understand the less clear ones. This passage in Numbers is clear. It is speaking about God as God. Who is he? He is not a man. He's God. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't repent. Uh, He does what he says he's going to do. The passage in Genesis is descriptive of an action that God is taking from our perspective. Uh, And so we have to understand that perspective. We can't take both of them literally on their face value or we have a contradiction in the scripture. So we have to let the clear passage in Numbers telling us about God help us understand the action that God is taking in time there in Genesis. The second rule of interpreting scripture is the analogy of faith. Uh, And this is very similar to the analogy of scripture. Here's the definition. The use of a general sense of the meaning of scripture constructed from the clear or unambiguous passages as the basis for interpreting unclear or ambiguous texts. It is distinct from the more basic analogy of Scripture. The analogy of faith presupposes a sense of the theological meaning of Scripture. In other words, what he's saying is the analogy of Scripture is use your cross-references. Let a clear passage help you understand an unclear passage. The analogy of faith is saying let our systematic theology, our overall understanding of what the Bible is teaching as a whole, help us understand the unclear passages. Ronald Bain's late uh, Reformed Baptist pastor up in Maine, he wrote this. He said, when the Second London Confession of Faith suggests that the true and full sense of any scripture, it's what we just read in chapter 1, paragraph 9, must include the theological priority of clear texts, it recognizes that more than grammatical or lexicographical principles are necessary for rightly dividing the word of God. So, in other words, uh, we have to let our overall system of theology help us understand. It's it's derived from clear passages, and so it needs to help us understand the less clear passages. William Perkins, a Puritan, defined the analogy of faith as the sum of religion gathered out of the clearest places of Scripture. So the idea here is that our biblical theology, as we read the Bible and we look up cross-references and understand texts in their context, helps us shape our systematic theology, and our systematic theology in turn helps us understand unclear uh, passages in the scripture as we're reading it. So the two work together. Uh, In other words, we're reading the scripture canonically. We're reading it as a unified whole written by the Holy Spirit. We're comparing scripture with scripture, but we're not doing so in a theological vacuum, right? We're understanding that our systematic theology is going to help us understand difficult passages. Um, and so that's, that's how we want to read our scripture. Now what I want to do uh, here at the end is give you a simple uh, method for reading the Bible in your daily devotions uh, that I think is helpful. I've used this before in my own daily reading. And then in future weeks as we look at this um, and look at particular genres of biblical literature, Uh, then we will take this method and kind of adapt it to each of those. So um, next month, I'm going to begin preaching out of Proverbs, uh, which is wisdom literature. 
And so we will look at how do we read wisdom literature? How do we read the book of Proverbs? It's a different sort of writing than Genesis is or the Gospels or one of Paul's letters. So how do we approach it? Uh, and so we'll modify this system and the questions that are asked uh, as we approach the book of Proverbs next month. But here is, here is my uh, steps for daily Bible reading. Again, like I said, begin with prayer. Ask the Lord to enlighten you, to help you understand what you're reading. And then read the passage in its context, however much that is, whether it's one chapter, a whole psalm, uh, one of Paul's letters in its entirety if you can. But read the passage aloud if possible. Uh, reading it out loud is helpful, I think. Uh, it helps us hear the sounds of the words. It helps us uh, not just... Uh, focus on the text with our eyes, but also with our ears. So uh, reading aloud can help. Uh, and then uh, what we're going to do is ask some various questions. And I've got an acronym for this, and it is COMA. Uh, I don't know why this is what it came out to. COMA. Uh, not that you're supposed to be in a coma when you're reading the Bible, but it can help you remember. Uh, the first one is context, right? So what sort of writing am I reading? Am I reading one of Paul's epistles? Am I reading uh, a poem? Uh, am I reading Proverbs, which is wisdom literature? Am I reading an Old Testament narrative about a king? What sort of literature am I reading? Uh, secondly, uh, under what circumstances was this passage written? Right? Was it uh, written for a, a context of worship in the Psalms? Or was this written by Paul to a church that was struggling and dealing with dif difficulties? Uh, what sort of circumstances was it written for? Uh, under. Uh, what has happened so far, if I'm just reading like through a narrative passage, say in the Old Testament, uh, and in our family worship, we're reading through First Kings, and so we're at the part we're reading about the prophet Elijah. Uh, but as we come to the next chapter to read, we want to know what's happened so far. Where are we at in the story as we come to this particular chapter? Uh, and then at what point in redemptive history was this passage written because this is part of biblical theology is the progressive unfolding of God's revelation from Genesis to Revelation. Um, the epistles written to the churches after Christ's resurrection and ascension uh, are at a different place in redemptive history than things that were written before Christ was even born, right? So the understanding is different, that the context is different, not just in Corinth versus in ancient Israel, but the context is different uh, in their relationship to the new covenant and to the coming of Christ. And so we want to understand at what point in redemptive history are we dealing with as we read this text. The second uh, thing in our analogy, in our, our, uh, in our coma here, is observation. The O is observation. Uh, and so here I, I always want to see, is there any obvious structure to this text? Particularly when we're in the Psalms, we can sometimes see that chiastic structure. But you even see that in some of the narrative stories. Uh, the book of Esther is full of it. Um, so we want to see, is there a structure here that's informing how the story is being told and, and why? Um, are there subsections that in the text, especially if you're reading Paul's letter, sometimes he kind of goes off on a rabbit trail and then comes back to where he had been before. And so we kind of want to know, okay, this whole section here is him chasing that rabbit trail, and now he's back to his original argument. So you kind of want to pay attention to the structure of the text. Um, we want to ask ourselves, are there any key words or repeated ideas or phrases that can help me uh, get a clue as to what the main point is? Uh, and so you want to look for those key words. Uh, you want to look for them. What is the main point of this text? 
Uh, what is the author trying to communicate? What's the Holy Spirit trying to say to us here? Um, is there anything surprising about this that I didn't expect to find that I need to maybe study a little bit more? Uh, then we come to the M in coma, which is meaning. Uh, and so here I want to ask a number of questions. How does this relate to its immediate context, so the chapter before it, the chapter after it. Uh, how does it relate to the Bible as a whole? So there's our analogy of faith. How does this fit into our understanding of the Bible as a whole? How does it relate to Christ? Uh, is this before Christ? Is it pointing forward to him? Is this after Christ, looking backwards at what he has done? Uh, how is it related to Christ? What is it teaching us about God? Uh, that's the whole point of theology, right? It's the study of God. Uh, the scriptures, we said, is God teaching God to us. So what is this particular text teaching us about God? Uh, and then when it comes to understanding the meaning, we're asking, what does this text mean? Uh, I always want to try and put that in my own words. Like in one or two sentences, how could I summarize what this text means? And then the, the last uh, letter in our acronym here is application. Uh, and this is where I want to ask, how's this, how's this passage, now that I've read it, I've meditated on it. I've tried to discern what it means. Uh, how is it challenging me? What's it challenging me in my thinking, what I understand about God? How is it challenging me uh, in, to change my life, how I live, my behavior? Uh, so how can I apply uh, what I have read to myself? And then we began with prayer. I encourage you as well to close with prayer. Uh, and this time, at the beginning, maybe you prayed that God would enlighten you and help you to see things in the text. But now as you've read through it and maybe observed some things, now you can pray and ask God to help you put those things into practice in your life. So begin with prayer and end with prayer uh, as we study the Bible. So uh, that, that's it for uh, our introduction on how to read the Bible. And again, next month we will come back and visit how we are to do that as we engage in the book of Proverbs.